Hi, I'm Terrell Turner, the host of the Business Talk Library, and today I have a great guest on, and as all of you know, my background is accounting and finance, so I'm a little biased when it comes down to the topic of, uh, you know, what topic is very, very critical for your business, and accounting and finance is always going to be one of those ones I put at the top of the list, so it's always a pleasure to have other accounting and finance professionals on that can provide their perspective and their experience with working with businesses and just what they do. So I'm glad to have Chris Denver on the show. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, thanks, Terrell, very much. Uh, happy New Year to you and to all your uh, your audience. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now, you know, before we jump into talking about, you know, your business and what you do now, um, mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about your background leading up to that? Yeah, thanks. I'm happy to. Right. So uh, like uh, I guess you have your MBA from Notre Dame. Uh, I have got my bachelor's degree in accounting from Notre Dame. Uh, my freshman year was Lou Holtz's first year, so that's exciting. I'd like to take all the credit for his success, um, <laughs> even though I was nowhere near the program. Um, but, uh, you know, I graduated my accounting degree uh, from Notre Dame, uh, started with, you know, uh, started working really with Coopers and Libran as an external auditor, did that for a couple of years, went into internal audit. And then I figured that at some point, serious accountants stop auditing and they start actually accounting for things. When you get to that point in your career where you're five years in and you've never booked a journal entry, right? You know, maybe I need to be doing a little bit more. So you know, I kind of flipped over, uh, joined the corporate side of the world, and um, you know worked for a, a number of insurance organizations for a couple, you know, probably about ten years, and uh, moved up through the accounting ranks to, you know, to an assistant controller position. Um, left that, left the insurance realm altogether, and went to become the full controller of a publicly traded company. So I had all the exciting SEC experience stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it says something about my personality and perhaps my, my, the character of my soul, but I really enjoy that stuff. I really, it, you know, the, the inner child in me loves to get down into this, the, the, the dirt and, 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 and scrub around in it and really get everything tidied up from an SEC standpoint. So that's a lot of fun for me. Um, I've done that for a number of years. Um, I got bored, essentially, of the grind of the SEC calendar. So I love the SEC work, but the SEC calendar is a grind. You know, so, you know, to your viewers, right, today's December 29th. Uh, I can tell you what I'll be doing on December 29th, 2021, and December 29th, 2022, and so on, under the SEC auspices, right? So in some respects, it's a lot of fun. But when you're doing the exact same thing month after month, year after year, quarter after quarter, uh, I, I got a lot bored with it. So uh, that's when I left. I went back into an uh, internal audit for a period of time, uh, worked with a company that subsequently went bankrupt, uh, not my fault. And then um, at that point, I sort of had one of those moments of clarity where I said, well, what am I doing with myself, right? I'm generally taking, taking a job with a company, taking a 12-hour day, you know, basically finance transforming it into a six-hour day, and, and then looking, spending two hours a day looking for another job. <laughs> so rather than sort of have this job hopping thing going on in my profile, which is exactly what was starting to happen, I thought to myself, well, why don't I get into consulting, right? Because this is what consultants do professionally is they jump into a situation that you know, the, the force is on fire and they, they put it out and then they go to the next fire. Uh, so, you know, from my perspective, terrible analogy, but from my perspective, uh, that, that was a lot more fun for me. And I've been consulting literally ever since and uh, been on all sides of uh, the consulting arrangement from uh, a temp staffing person to a you know, Fulbright consultant to business development professional exclusively. And now it's sort of settled into a role where I'm managing, doing, I sell, manage, and do, right? So 
sell the projects, manage the projects with other people on them, and actually build and contribute time and energy of my own uh, to the success of the project. So I love that model. Uh, keeps me in, you know, keeps my uh, management skills sharp. Keeps me right in the trenches with what's going on with that client and some of that nitty gritty type of things. And we do have a couple of SEC clients, so I get to do some of that too. But, you know, Terrell, really what's been transformative to me is as I looked over my career and realized that at, kind of at every stop, I was really exercising some business process improvement, some sort of finance transformation. Well, robotic process automation, RPA, is a relatively new technology that's come out uh, that really, really raises the bar in terms of what we can accomplish from a finance transformation standpoint. So that's really what's been happening, you know, all through my past and up to the moment. But uh, RPA to me is really the future wave of what's going to happen in finance and accounting. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I'm impassioned or re-impassioned maybe uh, to, to work on this type of stuff. Awesome. Awesome. You know, now before we jump too, you know, deeply into robotics, what I want to ask you about is, you know, from your experience of, you know, going to external audit to internal audit, what did you find to be kind of a, a difference for you or which one did you, you know, like a little more than the other? Ooh, tough question, right? <laughs> so uh, good question. Uh, I, I'd say, you know, external audit is awesome, right? Because you're, you know, I was working with one of the big five at the time firms, so Cooper's and Library tells you how old I am, right? Uh, now part of PwC. But uh, there's rarely times in your professional career where your, your employer will throw as much resources at you in terms of training and, and understanding what's going on with different industries and across the entire economy. So I, I love that aspect of the big four, right? Uh, or, or working in a public accounting firm. So there's really great opportunities. Uh, there's so much learning resources available to you. And all you have to do is kind of just nowadays, just click, 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 and it's right there. You know, it's pretty cool. Um, from an internal uh, audit standpoint, right, your focus really shifts significantly. So external auditors are, are concerned that numbers are close enough in order to be good enough, okay? When you get into the internal audit side of things, a lot of times there is no materiality constraint. It's like, is this process really working? Well, it only costs us, you know, $50,000 a year, which is a rounding error in our financials. Yeah, but the process is broken. Get in there and figure it out and fix it, right? So the, your attention has to shift from sort of more higher level things to a much more granular level, in my opinion. Uh, and you need to be aware of that, you know, where those the water's edge really is in terms of uh, spending time, investing time versus wasting time from an internal audit standpoint. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I find to be interesting about, you know, internal audit is, like you said, that, that shift of the focus of really fixing the process. Like, you know, like I said, when that materiality goes away and, you know, how was it for your experience from, you know, I guess you say the receivers of your feedback as an internal auditor when you're trying to help them, like I said, transform the process? How well were people receiving your feedback on that? Yeah, and that's a big distinction too, Terrell, and you're right to hone in on it, right? So when you're an external auditor, I come in, I'm like, hey, Terrell, your system's all screwy. You need to fix all this stuff, right? It's all terrible. And I don't care how you feel, right, at that point, because I don't need to collaborate with you. I can hit you with a big audit stick, right? When I'm an internal auditor, you and I are, you know, partners, you know, in a, in a very significant way. And we're co-workers. And, uh, you know, I can look up your name and your send you IMs on our internal systems and you can do the same to me. So uh, that sort of like, hey, I just punch in the mouth approach doesn't work. 
So I've got to be very collaborative, uh, really elevate and leverage some strong diplomacy skills. And, you know, and I'll be honest with you, I think when I first jumped into internal audit, uh, that was a bit of a challenge for me, right, is, is I don't have the big audit stick anymore. Now I've got to be persuasive. I have to be diplomatic. Uh, I have to engage with my auditee, right? And I'll pick on you, Terrell, as my auditee and say, look, you know, we've got to get the, along and find the, the perfect resolution for this. That's the right balance of, uh, you know, uh, cost savings versus uh, accuracy and, and things like that, right? So you can't always get a perfect solution in place. Um, but I've got to get you to come along with me at the same time. And so, you know, what I, what I tend to see is, is, is an interesting and delicate balance between the, um, you know, remaining objective, right. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, as an internal auditor has to do as, as a professional, uh, but also being collaborative with the business. Uh, and I think, you know, most internal auditors struggle with this, uh, from day to day, week to week, you know, maybe it's not a daily thing, but certainly something to think about certainly as you build your audit plan, it's like, how do I be collaborative with Terrell without overstepping my bounds and violating my independence and my objectivity? Yeah. And, uh, and so kind of managing to that process, a lot of it is just understanding like, look, the, the organization as a whole is going to be better off. Maybe Terrell, you are going to be better off if we make these fixes, if we make some of these changes, right? So help me help you. Let's talk about what they are. I'm going to write a report, and I know everybody's trying to get away from written reports these days. Maybe we'll do a video report, uh, but we'll do something that expresses the, the problem that's wrong here, but doesn't indict you as the person who's caused it or perpetuated it or maintaining it. You know, it, 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 you know that way, at least, you know, we can kind of come together and find a way to, to bring a good resolution to the issue. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I like that. I really love that approach and that, that perspective. I think, you know, myself as a business owner, myself, when I'm working through things, you know, it's, it's always much better when you have someone that sees it as, Hey, I'm part of your team helping you bring the solution as opposed to, like I said, the external audit days of here's a problem, go fix it. And it's all on you. But when you take that team approach, and that was what I liked when you and I talked before about what you guys are doing with robotics. So I definitely want to jump into that of how you guys are taking your what you've done with robotics, becoming a even more valuable team player with your clients. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so a couple key points about, you know, RPA robotics. Um, you know, I got into this because I really see the um, the leverage that it creates in terms of improving processes, right? So and I kind of looked at it as part of finance transformation because if I come into your organization and I automate a process that's part of finance, I've transformed that process within the finance. That's finance transformation. That's definitionally finance transformation. So uh, it doesn't have to be large, right? Finance transformations can be very small. Uh, they can be very incremental in, in scale and scope. And I, frankly, I think most organizations are better off with an incremental approach versus sort of the big bang, right? Uh, the shock and awe, um, mm -hmm. you know, shock and awe is almost never a good thing uh, unless you're really trying to shock and awe somebody, <laughs> you know, you want to drive nuts. So, but if you and I are going to collaborate, we're going to work together on solutioning this thing. It's much better for me to come at you and, and I can do this, right? So I can sit down with you and say, look, look, here's what I see that you're doing. That's a manual step, right? So, well, let me back up a step and say the first thing I would do is I'd sit down with you, Terrell, and I'd say, what's the worst part of your job, right? What is the piece of your that you absolutely dread doing? So every Thursday morning, I have to run this report, and I hate it, right? Uh, and why do you hate it? 
Well, the answer nine times out of 10 is, look, it's a stupid report, right? I have to go and I have to download this information from the system, download and stitch it together in Excel and filter through it and make sure I have a duplicated data and do all this manual garbage around this thing. And that produces this report that I'm pretty certain that nobody really looks at anyway, right? So I would come at you and say, well, look, you know, let's sit down, let's create a bot, you know, an automation to, to perform this report preparation for you. And that way you just review it at the end and, and, you, and you click send on your email and send it on out. Um, how, how does that sit with you? Well, boy, you know, if you take the worst part of somebody's job and you take it off the table, right? Now there's a lot of other things you do. So me automating this report, no way uh, puts your job at risk, right? There's no, there's no risk around the job because a lot of people are afraid of RPA is gonna come in and take my job away and you're gonna give it to Roblox and things like that. And I'm sure there will be portions of that and there have been and there will be into the future. But in all the work that we've done, it's been just the crappiest part of somebody's job that they absolutely hated doing. It's generally very small in scope and, and nature. We can come in, do a bot and, and, and be done with it pretty quick, you know, within a month or two or three at the most and uh, automate that job. You know, if you hate it, automate it. Right. So we get that thing automated. Set, you know, get that person saying, wow, this was really transformative because now instead of preparing this cruddy report that I had to do, I've got that extra hour, two hours, three hours, whatever it was every Thursday to step up and do more transformative work, right? To use more of my brain rather than just sort of preparing this report the same way every time. Now I can look into the business. So a good case point is, uh, and this is a bit of a larger one, but we automated the entire accounts payable function we're about a billion dollar quick service food company based in Chicago. And yeah, it's a pretty big, pretty big player, right? Uh, and it's a fairly sophisticated series. It's actually four different um, RPA robots that work together to perform these different tasks. And um, there's a team of three people in the accounts payable department. None of them been fired, right? So we've basically taken 85% of their daily grind off of their desk. Right. And so uh, there's some things the bot always can't always respond to. And so the bot's smart enough to say, oh, I can't figure this out. And it sends it to a live person to handle. So there is that overflow that's still 15 percent of that that they, they still have to work. But the other 85 percent of three people's jobs has now been transformed and really elevated. So they spend a lot of time working with vendors, uh, working with the buyers in the company, understanding what's going on. Are we getting all the discounts we're entitled to? Is our sales tax being calculated correctly? Uh, and, and providing more informative and better business decisioning information to the organization. And they love it. You know, they absolutely love it. So these are three people who are hardcore accounts payable people, right? And they've been just manually processing invoices week, day after day, week after week, month after month for their entire career. And I think the, the one with the lowest tenure is about 10 years at this company. So they've been doing this a long time with this organization and they're super pumped uh, to be able to go out and, and, and really feel like they're adding more value and they are adding more value to the organization than they were in the past. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is amazing because even as myself from, you know, my, my corporate role was working as the director of finance um, for the tech company and, we just spent way too much time doing the stuff that wasn't the most value add. And it was stuff that was tedious stuff that had to be done, 
But it's just like, man, we could have driven so much more value had we had a process that could take that off our plate so we could focus on the more valuable things. So speaking of that, you know, when people work with your firm and they uh, work with your, you know, you got to implement a solution. What's some of the common feedback you usually hear from people, your customers? Well, okay, so that's a pretty broad question, right? So um, I wouldn't say, so nobody calls uh, a consultant to, to come in and help. It's always a problem at hand. And generally, you know, you're going to fix it, you're, whether you fix it a little or you fix it a lot, right? Uh, will you fix it perfectly? Sometimes, but a lot of times the client doesn't want to pay for a perfect fix because to get that last 20% can be 80% of the cost. So they're like, you know what, we'll pay the 20%, get close enough to good enough, and, and we're done. Um, so feedback that I get from clients, though, is, well, it's, it, it varies across the board. It depends on what we're doing, right? So uh, for this billion-dollar uh, RPA deal that we did with this um, uh, automating this entire accounts payable process, um, the accounts payable manager is absolutely head over heels excited about it, right? Because she sees that, you know, now she's able to, really just kind of redirect her efforts to something that's a lot more valuable to the company. She feels so much better about herself. You know, she walks out of the office at the end of the day thinking, man, I accomplished more than just manually processing 235 invoices today, you know, which is crazy. Um, but it, it's crazy to process that many invoices manually is what I'm saying. Um, so it's, it's a great thing. You know, one of the things that uh, you're, you're almost old enough to remember this sort of thing is that, uh, you know, they tell you as you come out of accounting school that you're going to have to pay your dues for a couple of years, right, and earn your stripes and get to the top. Well, guess what? Now you can build automations that pay your dues for you, right, in some respects and, and do a lot. And when people say pay your dues, they're talking about you're going to have to do that manual crap that you just hate to do and grind through it and gut through it uh, and, and, you know, to, to, to get to a level where you, you rise high enough where I can tell you, Terrell, that now you're going to go do all that terrible work, right? Uh, now that you've got automations out there, uh, it just takes that, that paying your dues thing and reduces the, the, the impact of it in significant significance, in my opinion. Uh, so that can be a lot more fun. So anyway, getting back to your original question, feedback from clients. Uh, I want to say it's universally positive. We generally don't mess up on our engagements. We're too small uh, to be able to do that. So we pay a lot of personal attention. I explained to you in the, earlier in our conversation that I have a sell, manage, do model for myself, right? Where I sell the work, I manage that work and I actually contribute hours during the project. And so I try to do that for every project I'm on. And that ensures that, you know, I'm there, I'm working the issues with my staff, I'm understanding everything that's going on. Um, you know, I would say every consulting project has a moment where it, it kind of spins off the tracks, right? Something goes wrong, whether it's our fault or the client's fault or nobody's fault, you know, coronavirus, whatever, stuff just happens. And uh, so the, the question is not, hey, are you going to bring this in perfectly every time? But when it goes wrong, how are you going to fix it? And I like to pride myself on thinking that, you know, we've got a, a very, very high level responsiveness that clients respect. And, you know, I approach the client the same way that I kind of was describing internal audit. It's like, this is a collaborative approach, right? I'm not going to borrow your watch and tell you what time it is. You know, I'm going to help you upgrade your watch. We're going to size your wrist. 
we're going to figure out what you need to do uh, to make a really, really handsome watch for you. And then we're going to get that put on your wrist and tell the time and then all the other bells and whistles now. We'll check check your, your pulse and, and check your blood pressure and all that sort of thing. But, you, it's, it's, uh, but it's a good analogy, right? So we're upgrading. We're changing the game for these people. We want to make their lives a lot easier, remove all the, the, the minutia that, that clogs their day and really free them up to achieve their highest and best use for their organization. And that the response to that is universally positive. Awesome. And I think that's very big because even in the accounting and finance space, when I talk with different clients of mine that have worked with it, whether it's a bookkeeper, whether it's an accountant, you know, what they've experienced has been that person came in, borrowed their watch, you know, told them what they already knew and then sent them a bill. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it, it makes it, you know, it is it, it's heartwarming to hear, like I said, when other other accountants and other professionals in the field are really focused on how do we help, you know, upgrade the client to give them more value than we really took from them. <laughs> yeah, so, you're exactly right. So it's, it's thinking about like having that clock running in your head, like you're a quarterback on a, on a football team. It's like, I got to pass this ball within a certain number of seconds or I'm going to get hit. Right. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that pressure is always on and, and I've got to deliver value much more in excess of my cost every single day with a client or it's not going to work out. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Now, so if people are interested in getting in touch with you and your company, how can they find you guys online or on social media? Sure. Thanks. Uh, so we have a Twitter feed. Look for IFG advisory uh, on our Twitter feed. We also have a showcase page on LinkedIn. You can, on the, the same name, IFG Advisory, look for us there. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, uh, you know, whatever the LinkedIn thing is, slash Chris Denver. Uh, so you can find me there. Um, and you're always, I'm always welcoming to send me an email at any point in time. And it's uh, Chris Denver, all one word, no dots or dashes. So C-H-R-I-S-D-E-N-V-E-R at I-F-G-P-R.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, before we wrap up, one question I like to ask every guest that comes on is, you know, when you think about your journey as, you know, going from profession into, you know, running your business as a business that serves others, you know, what's two pieces of advice that you would share for other business owners? Yeah, great question, Terrell. Thanks. So uh, I think the most key piece of advice that I would share, and, and, and to be frank with you, this is a, a rule that I try to live by and often fail to. Uh, but it, it's, it's to, to really approach every conflict, you know, so there's always conflict in business and that's a good thing, right? So that's sort of creative destruction, but that causes people to disagree with each other and uh, approaching that with a, a, an air of diplomacy and saying like, look, how do I partner with my, how do I partner with Terrell to achieve the outcome that's going to suit us best? And sometimes it's, you know, Kind of pounding on you and saying, look, Toriel, you got to fix this and blah, 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 using the big audit stick. More often, though, it's like, hey, listen, here's my perception on this issue. How can you and I collaborate in a way that's going to fix that? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's good for you. And here's why I think it's good for you. And I think it's good for me. And here's why it's good for me. And here's why it's good for the company. Right. So have a whole bunch of reasons why we should do this. Uh, if you can't come up with a good reason for it, it's probably not something worth doing. So uh, it's worth uh, it's worth exploring that. Um, you know, second piece of advice is, uh, I guess, uh, something that my mother told me a long time ago. So she was a small business owner for a long period of time and actually owned a religious bookstore, which is an interesting business. Um, but, uh, and I worked there, you know, through high school and all that sort of thing. So I can tell you the difference between all a whole bunch of different Bibles and 
But uh, she, she said something too interesting once, and I think you'll probably agree with this, Terrell, is that when you're an employee, you work for your boss. When you're the boss, you work for the employees. And if you keep that, that thought, that wisdom in mind as you navigate the relationships that you have in your business world, uh, I think you'll, uh, you'll do pretty well. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your journey, telling us more about your business, and as well as sharing your wisdom. It's been a pleasure having you on. Terrell, thanks very much. Good luck to you in the new year. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Finance and Accounting Show. If you like what you heard, don't be selfish. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and then share this with a friend because you know a business owner that could definitely use this insight. So be sure to hit that subscribe button, share it with a friend, and turn on the notification bell so you get all the updates when we release a new episode.